this man is crazy. This man is insane. At least that's what everybody said about him. His name is Martin Cooper. And way back in the 60s and 70s, he had this crazy idea about telephones. He said, people don't want to connect to places. People want to connect to people. He said, what we need to have is a way to take our telephones with us, to have like a portable telephone. People thought he was insane. There was a variety of companies trying to do it, but he had this idea that what what we need to do is, the secret is radio technology. We have these walkie-talkies kind of radio stuff. We need to do that. And, And he says, what we need is a bunch of towers that are around the city that can transmit these signals like a honeycomb, like a cell in a honeycomb. It's like cellular. This is what he said. And people thought, you're insane. They, 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 they said, that, that sounds impossible. But he said, no, I think it can be done. And he kept pushing forward to do this. He said, radio technology is the key. It turned out everybody thought that was impossible and it turned out he was right. And this man invented the cell phone. In fact, he made the very first cell phone call. He called his rival and he said, I am calling from a portable telephone to give you a message. Wow. That was in 1973. He was so far ahead of his time when they eventually rolled them out. The cell phone, like this one here, only cost $4,000. Wow in those days dollars. I mean, it was crazy how much it cost. But he had started a revolution. And it turns out he wasn't crazy. He was really, really smart. He was ahead of his time. And he had figured out using these old technologies and truths, how to put them all together and built on the past to present something new that was utterly amazing. Martin Cooper, next time you pick up your cell phone, think of him. So my question today is just who is crazy? Uh, We're going to talk about that today because we were in this series called Whatever It Takes. We've been learning this passion that the Apostle Paul had to, to take the message of Jesus to people against all odds. He said, I'll do whatever it takes. And a few weeks ago, I talked about, uh, his, uh, his, his, his coming to Jerusalem and having all that opposition. And then being able, he was able to give his, his testimony of his faith in Jesus before uh, the crowd, um, but that was, he was rejected. And then he was brought before Felix, and Felix heard, and he feared for his soul and what he was saying, but in the end he left Paul in prison, unwilling to deal with it personally or in Paul's legal case. Then a new governor comes on the scene, and here we are at Acts chapter 25 and 26, and he hears the case, and he talks it over with Agrippa. We can read about this in chapter 25, and there's then an informal hearing. He says, I, I, I need some, he, 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 Festus, excuse me, um, Festus has re- replaced Felix, and he's brand new on the job, and he doesn't really want to mess up this case. He's in Caesarea, And he hears there's a new governor nearby, 
uh, he is the new governor, and uh, the King Agrippa is nearby with his sister Bernice. And he says, I'd like you to hear this. I'd like to get your uh, uh, insights on this. And even though King Agrippa has absolutely no jurisdiction over this case, he values his insights on a complicated matter involving a lot of controversy surrounding the Apostle Paul, who has been accused by the Jewish people, his own people, of insurrection and of uh, violating the Jewish law, violating the Romans law. All sorts of accusations are being made against him. Plus, there's a plot against his life. So, before, King, as King Agrippa comes in and Bernice, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 25 and 26, in great pomp and circumstance, in their royal robes, dressed to impress, he tells his simple story of how he had persecuted the church, but that Jesus had appeared on Damascus Road to him, and how his heart had been transformed, and how this was true, and that he wanted to get the word out to as many as possible. He gives the testimony of his conversion and the basic truths about Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick up the story right now. And what I want us to learn from all of this is that any time when we get enthusiastic about our faith, any time we get serious about Jesus, serious about our walk, any time we express our faith, even when we do it in the most kind and gentle and uh, understanding manner, some people will think we're nuts. Some people will think we're crazy. Uh, some people will think we're fanatics. And my question today is, as you look at it, just who is the crazy ones here? Who is the crazy person? So let's look at it. It's, it unfolds in four scenes. Scene one is this. Uh, the Apostle Paul explains that I have a new purpose in my life now. And by the way, you can share that very same thing, too, with people that you know. You can share that. As we long to be not only uh, have Christ formed in us, but we want to be spiritual influencers, we can say, I have a new purpose in life. God set me in a different direction. God changed me and transformed me. And there's power in your story, just your story of your journey with Jesus. So Paul's explaining about the Damascus Road experience to King Agrippa. And he says, so then, King Agrippa, very polite, very uh, bold, but very respectful. As, as the Apostle Peter had said, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's what, that's what Paul does here. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of, of Judea and to the Gentiles. So he's telling his kind of life story. And we're getting kind of a summary of what he shared. This could have gone on for quite a long time. But what he's saying in essence is, I have been radically transformed and I have a whole new calling in life. I was devoted to persecuting the very thing that I now believe. And I have been com- become utterly convinced that it's true, that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He, 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 he shares this with him. Then he goes on, and he says, this is what I've been telling people, that they should repent and turn to God. 
To repent, the word means to change your mind. It is not cleaning up your life. Repent means to have your mind changed. He was talking to people, to the Jewish folks who had rejected Jesus as Messiah. He's asking them, change your mind about who you think Jesus is. And to the Gentiles who believed in many gods and, and, and false idols. And he said, reject all those worthless idols and embrace the living God who has sent his son into the world, who lived this perfect life, who worked miracles, who who uh, uh, preached the kingdom of God, who raised the dead, who loved people who were far from God, who reached out to the outcasts, who healed the blind and caused the, those who couldn't hear to be able to hear again. All these amazing and astounding miracles he did. You should change your mind about him. He is who he claimed to be, the living son of God. And what's more, he died on the cross and he was raised again. So he's, he's asking people, he says, this is what I've been asking people to do. Repent, change your minds about who Jesus is. That's the, that's the, that's the step, that's the first step in the Christian uh, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian. The basic, he's giving the basic message. That's what I've been doing, giving the basic message to everybody, that they should repent and turn to God. Turn to the God of the scriptures, the, the God of the promises of the Old Testament. It goes way back to Abraham, who said, I'm going I'm to bless you through all, uh, through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And I'm going to give you someday a son and his seed, which is the descendant, who is Jesus. And so he's pointing them to, the, to them and turn to God, the God of the Old Testament. Jesus, who fulfills all the, the law of Moses, who fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament, who, who, who did everything that God had promised to do to save his people. He says, turn to that God. And he says, and do works worthy of repentance. In other words, allow God to come into your life, transform you, and then begin to do good works that come from a heart filled with thanksgiving and love for God who has saved you. Do works worthy of repentance. You've changed your mind. Now live like it is essentially what he's saying. He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they were trying to kill me. You remember that episode? It was a very, very serious moment. He was being beaten to death until a Roman um, a commander intervened and brought soldiers to rescue him. And he says, to this very day, I have help from God and I stand and testify to both small and great. He says, some people didn't like it. Well, I just keep talking. And somehow, I'm still here. I mean, he, he traces the providence of God. He says, somehow I've overcome. And I'm here. Look, at, I'm, I'm in front of you, King Agrippa. I got to this point. People are trying to kill me. And God's got a purpose for my life. He brought me to this very spot. And here I am. I just keep talking and I keep sharing it with everybody. It's just small and great alike. Doesn't matter if it's the beggar on the street or it's the king. I tell everybody the same thing. He says, I say nothing, I'm saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place. He says, I, I'm not saying anything new, really. I'm not particularly innovative. <laughs> he said, uh, God had promised this for centuries that he would send the Messiah. Then he unpacks it. He said, uh, uh, the prophets and Moses said all this would take place, that the Messiah would suffer. Uh, that, that's all over, uh, especially in Isaiah, we read that. 
that as the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. He's specifically referencing heavily into Isaiah here, but really all of them. It's, it's the message. And in this, this verse 23, we get kind of a mini presentation of the gospel. The Messiah, the promised Old Testament uh, figure, that was promised from old to, to come and to save us, to deliver us from our sins, that he would suffer, that he would take on, on our sins himself, and by his stripes we would be healed. He would suffer. It's what the Old Testament taught us. We missed it, but it was all there. And that as the first to rise from the dead, he would see the light of life as Isaiah promised. He would rise from the dead as all the scriptures foretold on the third day. Just like Abraham said to his son Isaac, the Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. There, all these promises are coming true. And through him, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. This is what was the promise to Abraham and to, to Moses and to all the prophets. We've been looking for him for all these centuries and now he's come. And King Agrippa, you know all this. You've heard this all before. I'm not proclaiming anything than what the prophets and Moses have said all along. It's the same message. It's not new. It's really old. It's reliable. Sometimes I think that we think we have to be innovative. And I, I'm all for innovative technologies and innovative methods and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we think we have to change the message. That somehow we need to move away what Christians have believed and taught for 2,000 years. And somehow that's going to make us more relevant or more understandable. We need to water down the gospel and the exclusive claims of Jesus. We need to say, well, maybe he's a way, but not the way. No, no, no. He, we, we think we have to water it down to make it palatable, to make it people want to to, 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 to uh, embrace it. But what we do when we do that is we lose the power of the gospel. Paul said in another place, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. There's something about that old gospel, the good news, that is unchanging for 2,000 years. We dare not move away from it. Because it's in that gospel that we find salvation. It's in that gospel that we find transformation. We find forgiveness. We find the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And we find a new purpose in our lives. I remember years ago, I, was, uh, I happened to meet up, strange situation, I happened to meet up with some members of a, a cult. Uh, very wacky way out. They said they believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe he was God. He was just a teacher. And they had a lot of strange beliefs and practices. And, and I got talking with them and interacting with them. And they said, well, you know, and, and somehow they asked me what I believe. And I shared with them what I believe. And they said, oh, you, you believe the same old stuff. The same old stuff. And I said, well, if you mean the same old Bible, the same old Jesus, the same old cross, and the same old empty tomb. Yes, I believe the same old stuff. Why would we move away from that? Why would we... Here's a bad habit that we sometimes have as believers in Jesus. We jump on um, bandwagons just as they're about ready to go over the cliff. 
we think this is going to make us more acceptable. And, and they're, all, they're all dead. All these beliefs that these, these, uh, th- these folks had in Paul's day, all the Gentiles he had reached, they didn't believe in any of those gods any longer. But well, somehow we feel we have to move away from the gospel. I think it's great to be innovative. I think it's great to have new things and new methods. Fantastic. You know I love that stuff. I love all of it. But we dare not move away from the message. We do not dare not change the message. The Messiah would suffer that the first to rise to the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Because it's in that old message that we get light. So two big questions so far in scene one. I have a new purpose in life. Two big questions for you today. If you, like the Apostle Paul, if you or me, if I were put on trial for being a Christian, and I were asked to give a five-minute summary of the basic message of Christianity, if you were asked that, could you do it? And what would you say? That's a good thing to ponder. If I, if I just had like an elevator speech, like I get in the elevator, I got two minutes and somebody says, well, what's the basic message of Christianity? What would it be? It's good sometimes to think about that because we don't always have, you know, years, months, weeks, hours. Sometimes we have seconds, minutes. And so this is what Paul did. He could summarize it quickly to what it was about. And second question is, if you or, or I were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me, to convict you? In other words, would people see that there's been transformation in my life? I'm, I'm not perfect. I've got a long way to go, but I'm not what I used to be. There has been life change. I have discovered new purpose in life, and Jesus has done a work in my life. So here, I want to be able, like the Apostle Paul, and I want you to be able, like the Apostle Paul, to be able to summarize the good news of Jesus in five minutes. And that may take some work. Um, But also to be able to say, yeah, there's enough evidence to back up that gospel that he has brought me to repentance. I do have changed my mind, and I'm trying to live in a life that's worthy of repentance. That that I've changed my mind, and it's showing up in my life. Paul knew the message and he had a transformed life. That's scene one. Let's go on to scene two. They say to the apostle Paul, you're crazy. And they hear what is being said and they accuse him of being insane. Let's pick it up. Verse 20. uh, Here we go. Uh, 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. So Festus is kind of the host of Agrippa. Uh, who had, had invited them to come and talk, uh, to come and listen, Agrippa. He says, you're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. You're crazy. You're nuts, wacko. You're one taco short of a combination plate. You've had a few too many hours with the papyrus skulls, bro. You're a woo Loku. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Why did he think Paul was insane at this point? Why? I think there are two reasons. And there's more to it, but at least two. Number one, the content of the message was Jesus is raised from the dead. And to him, dead men don't come back alive. That's nuts. That can't be. It has to be false. You're, you're crazy. 
So there's the content of the message itself sounded crazy to him. And the second was the passion of the messenger. The zeal, the, 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 the excitement, the enthusiasm with which he delivered it. He said, you're just a little bit fanatical. You're just a little bit overboard. And can I say something to you guys? If you walk with Jesus and you know the message and you can explain it in a nutshell about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again, if you can tell that to people, there are some people who are going to think you're crazy. And, and they're just going to say, that's nuts. I don't believe that. And they've, 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 they've made some assumptions. They've made some presuppositions that that just can't happen or it doesn't happen. They've outlawed the supernatural that God could actually raise someone from the dead. And so to them, because they've outlawed that ahead of time and that's out of bounds, the Christian message doesn't make any sense to them. And there are other aspects of the Christian message that won't make sense to a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Can I say this? With all kindness, we just need to get used to that. Some people are just going to think we're nuts. And we don't want to give them ammo for that and do crazy things or say stupid things. And by the way, never mistake being persecuted because you're a Christian for being persecuted because you're an idiot. Those are two separate things. And there are plenty of people representing Jesus around the world who are just being foolish and crazy people. They, they, they deserve that reputation. But there's other folks who are sane, reasonable, rational people who happen to embrace the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And to some folks, that's just out of bounds. It has to be wrong. It doesn't fit with our narrative. It doesn't fit with what we believe. So therefore, it is wrong. And sometimes if you're serious about your faith and you have some passion behind it, I'm not talking anger, I'm talking about excitement, enthusiasm, and you're serious about your faith and you live it out, and you even will talk to people if they ask you, some people will just say, you're fanatical. You're, you're crazy. Because here's the thing, guys, in our world, for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, everybody's allowed to be fanatical about anything except Jesus. You can be absolutely fanatical about your favorite sports team, and that's cool and totally understandable and amazing. Fanatical about your house, fanatical about uh, a program on television you love or a movie a series or, or uh, stuff on the internet or social media or whatever. You can be fanatical. You can be crazy about that stuff. You can be a really big fan and love that stuff and go crazy with it, and that's all good. But if you get f fanatical about the God who made us, about the God who knit us together in our mother's womb, who guides the course of our lives, who providentially provides every good thing we have. If you get excited or enthusiastic or passionate about a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross, if you get fanatical about somebody who forever defeated sin and death by rising from the dead on the third day, if you get fanatical about somebody who promised I will not leave you orphans, I will send the Holy Spirit. If you get fanatical or excited about your faith and you say, I believe Jesus Christ is coming back, people don't allow that. To them, that's out of bounds. 
And again, we just need to receive this. We need to accept this as a part of life. We just need to say, okay, that's part of following Jesus. That's just what it is, guys. I've experienced those things in my life. I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, there were some people among my family and friend circle that just thought I was absolutely crazy. Um, there were people that were uh, just, you just didn't want to hear it. Um, and, and when I took my faith seriously, they, 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 just, they, just, they just said, that's, that's going too far. But it's okay to be excited about your faith. And, and, and sometimes I wonder, you know, do we have enough? We don't have to be weirdos. And we certainly don't want to be foolish. But is there a passion there? Paul responds, verse 25, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Very gentle and respectful. But also, I'm not crazy. What I am saying is true and reasonable. Poor Paul. He could have gotten off on an insanity plea right then and there. He had to say, yeah, right, right. That's what I'm, I want to plea insanity and I'm off. He could have gotten right there. But he didn't. He said, and what I'm saying is true. Those, those words are important. True, that is, it's based on historical facts, eyewitness testimony, and personal experiences. These are not my ideas. These are things that happened in history, in real life. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was raised from the dead. Those are uh, verifiable truths of history. And you can disbelieve them, but they happened, he's saying. They're not truth, they're facts of history. And what I'm saying is not only true, it's also reasonable. The Christian faith, he's saying, is rational. It makes logical sense. It holds together. It's, it follows rational, logical order. It is only irrational to those who exclude the supernatural from the start, who said, dead man cannot rise from the, from the grave. For them, they've excluded the possibility that God could intervene in human history that God could take on human flesh. They, they say those miracles cannot happen, therefore it is unreasonable. He goes on to say, verse 26, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you, you know all this has is, 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 is been way out in the open. We're not some secret cult. We're meeting openly. This has been going on for years. I mean, the Christian faith is not new at this point. It's been going on for 20, 30 years at this point. And 50,000 people perhaps in Jerusalem alone believe this message. It's in broad daylight. We have public meetings. We're not meeting secretly and doing weird things. Somebody asked me one time at Valley Church, they said, what happens at life groups? And I said, well, that's when we get out the animal skins and chant and march around fires and throw, throw things in the fire. And they're like, oh, I'm just kidding. No, we're normal people. We're just, you know, everything's out in the open. You can, you can research it yourself. King knows about these things. Here, here's something I learned from this scene, uh, you're crazy, is that the Christian message needs to be brought out of the corners and just you know, hey, we can talk about this openly. We need to be gentle and respectful. We need to wait for open doors. We need to wait for permission to sometimes just to, to speak when we're asked. We don't barge in and, and be uh, rude. 
But it's okay to talk openly. It's not just a private faith. We can talk about it in daily conversation. Uh, and we need to observe social conventions and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we need to be able to freely, you know, say I'm a follower of Jesus. And not ashamed of that. And also, the other thing I learned from this scene is that the Christian message is true and reasonable. And that, yes, we are allowed to be excited and enthusiastic about something that's very true and reasonable and life-changing. And if it's okay to be excited and enthusiastic about everything else, then it's okay to be excited and enthusiastic about the Christian faith. Because it's amazing, and God has done amazing things through Jesus. Um, Insanity is common in our culture. Um, I mean, we have a very strange things that are believed in our culture that are contrary, we won't go into all those, but they're just contrary to um, reality, they're contrary to faith, they're contrary to uh, just common wisdom, Um, and there's a lot of strange beliefs that circulate around, but we don't need to be ashamed of our faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, the message of Jesus Christ is our only hope, not just for us, but for the world. Scene three, Um, Paul asks them to become a believer like me. (laughs) Follow me, become a believer like me. He says, King Agrippa, verse 27, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So he's outlined from the prophets that this is all true and reasonable and Jesus is the Messiah. He says, you're familiar with these prophets. You believe in God's word. I know you do. He's trying to strike up a personal conversation. He wants to actually very winsomely and wisely change the topic of conversation to about me being on trial to saying, let's have a conversation about you. Let's have a conversation about your beliefs. What a beautiful, he, he actually asked him a question. I love this because this is what Jesus did, this is what Paul did. So he, didn't, he, he presented what he believed, but he also asked him a question. What do you believe? I know you believe this, don't you? And he tries to reason with him toward believing in Jesus. And he says, I know you get this. I know this all lines up for you, right? And Agrippa then says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I don't know if this is like astonishment or like a wisecrack. Ah, you want me to come out a Christian right away, huh? I I don't know what is going on there exactly, but he dodges the spiritual issue. He's not willing to go there himself. If he says, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, um... Well, then he's, he's, he's affirming himself with Paul and all the accusers are like, what? What just happened there? If he says, no, he is not the Messiah, then there's still thousands of people that believe in Jesus the Messiah and he's a politician. He's not going to get involved in that hornet's nest. So he says, nice try, but it's not going to work. He dodges the spiritual issue. He's, he's unwilling to go there. Many people are like that. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. What Paul was saying was, I want everybody to become a Christian. I want everybody I meet to experience the love of Jesus Christ. I want everybody I I meet to experience forgiveness of sins. I want everyone to know they have everlasting life. I want everybody to experience the love of God and the wisdom of God and the, and the knowledge of God and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. I want everybody 
to experience that. I hope they don't have to be in chains like I am right now, but I wish everyone would become a follower of Jesus. And my question for you today is, is that your heartbeat? Is that what you say? I wish everybody could know Jesus. I want everybody that I know, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, every single person I meet, that then when they meet me, they get a touch of the love of God and they're one step closer, maybe in a tiny, tiny way, but they're one step closer to knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ. Become a believer like me. That's what Paul asked them, them to do that day. That's bold. And then the last scene is scene four, and that's he could have been set free. Paul's a prisoner here. Um, he has appealed to Caesar, um, which was his right as a Roman citizen. He knew there was a plot against his life. He knew that they were uh, not, it was not going to be a fair trial. And so as a Roman citizen, he said, I appeal to Caesar, which means he had the right for this sort of uh, examination and judicial process, process to take place. And this is eventually going to land him in Rome. Verse 30, the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. We're done. We're done. When Paul got to the point where he's saying, I, I wish you would become a Christian, they said, we're done. They left the room. They walked out on the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about what just happened. They had the opportunity of a lifetime, of an eternity. And they said, we're done. There is no spiritual um, reflection. There was no seizing of this incredible opportunity. They walked out. They left the room. And while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. This guy may be nuts, but he's not a criminal. He's, he's, he, this is crazy. These are just whacked out charges against him. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Because Paul appealed to Caesar, the legal process must take its course, and that will land him in Rome, which is where Paul wanted to go all the way in the first place anyway. But he said, we could have set him free today because he's obviously not guilty of any serious crimes, but we've got to let the legal proceedings play out. And King Agrippa has no authority or jurisdiction anyway, so he says, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been set free. This man could have been set free. And I think the, right, the writer, Luke, includes this statement is a bit of irony. Because what is true of Paul is actually true of Agrippa and Bernice and Festus. They could have been set free that day. They could have experienced freedom in Jesus. This man could have been set free, but they walked out. And instead, Agrippa went back to being king. Festus did his thing. Felix filed his report. Everybody was doing everything they do administratively. And this man could have been set free. Father in heaven, thank you for today.
I pray that we would not miss the opportunities of the lifetime that is before us. Today, as we hear this message once again of Jesus and his love, every single person who hears this can be set free. Every single person who hears this can be liberated from the bondage of sin and death. And I pray that anyone who has not yet taken that step of faith would not miss the opportunity of a lifetime and regret it forever. And today, step into faith in Jesus and say, I need to believe, I need to become a Christian. I need to believe in Jesus, the Messiah. I pray that for every single person. And for the, all of us who have made that step of faith, I pray, Lord, that we would live in such a way that would call some people to think that we're a little too enthusiastic, that we are willing to live in such a way that our, our message, even when it's rejected and reviled and insulted by our culture, that we will hold our heads high like the Apostle Paul did and say, this is true and this is reasonable. Here I stand. I pray this for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a great day.